1: Today's topic is, is sustainability really a problem with my friend Matt McClellan? How's it going, Matt?
0: Hey, thanks for having me on today, Joe.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to talk about this topic. I know sustainability is being thrown around a lot, so I'm looking forward to talking to someone who's a real expert in it. So Matt, before we get into all that, please introduce yourself and your company.
0: Okay, thanks. So my name is Matt McClellan, and I am the VP of Sustainability and Innovation At Covenant Logistics, we are a third-party logistics provider. We have a lot of trucks, but we also have warehousing and managed freight. We do freight brokerage. And so a lot of people know us as a trucking company on the Transport Topics list of top 50 carrier for hire carriers. You know, that list, the, the rankings always changing, but we're usually between 40 and 37, just in terms of size uh, financially and number of trucks and trailers and that sort of thing. So uh, we've been at this since 1986. My role, which I'm sure we'll probably get into in a little bit, is relatively new for the company. I've kind of been in innovation and technology internal to the company before we elevated it and created the sustainability position. But yeah, it's great to be here. We're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which um, I'm a huge Chattanooga fan, unfortunately, the word's out. California people and others from, you <laughs> know, some of these crazier places, Joe, are starting to move here and work remotely. And so real estate's going up. It's a big outdoors town. I'm a big outdoors guy. And uh, in fact, just prior to this call, I was on a trail run. And maybe, I'll, I'll, maybe you can put a picture that I took of the fall <laughs> of leaves, you know, in the, sure. the kind of show notes at the bottom.
1: So yeah, it is very interesting. I saw a list of under, overlooked, I'm sorry, it was overlooked cities. And it had cities like Grand Rapids, which I've just been here in Michigan, Des Moines, which I've been to a few times. It had Chattanooga. It was talking about all these cities. And I will say this, I'm I'm in the Detroit metro area, but I'm on the very fringes of, I'm near Ann Arbor. And Ann Arbor was on that list too. And one of the things I always feel like is, uh, Mid-sized cities have, are much more livable. <laughs> and I, know, and I think you know, once what? once you leave that bigger city and you go, I can't go back. I'm not used to the traffic anymore. I'm not used to I the know. congestion. It, it,
0: it's crazy. You know, I read Outside Magazine and they have this big issue every year called uh, Best Town Ever or Undiscovered Ski Towns. And the right. inhabitants of those towns always hate when that issue comes out because all of a sudden the word gets out. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Um, there's this little town in Idaho called Driggs. It's outside of Jackson Hole. And it's this tiny little speck on the map. And they've got a tiny little ski resort. And it's been this great little undiscovered gym. And then, you know, some magazine did a, did a story on them. And now you can't live there unless you've got a $5 million <laughs> home. And it's just bananas. Right. So, right. yeah, I'll tell all your listeners, don't come to Chattanooga. It's terrible. It
1: sucks there, yeah. Oh,
0: it's terrible. You really should live in Atlanta.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. So before we get into the topic today... Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us uh, some of your career highlights.
0: Sure. So um, I'll tell you some of the things you can't ask directly. So I'm 50, 51. So that working backwards from that, <laughs> I've been a professional for over half of my life now. So I've been, you know, working mostly in technology for most of my career. I started out after graduating with a technology degree from the University of Georgia, working for a big software company out in the Bay Area I and eventually moved back here to Chattanooga in the late '90s, which is home for me. I grew up here, and you know, have been here in the logistics space for probably the last 18 years of my career, and at Covenant Logistics for the last four. And um, it's an it, well, I'll tell you this: it's an interesting space. And if any of your listeners, Joe, are college students that are you know torn about what sort of a career they need, you know, logistics is a great position, a great job to have.
1: Right. You know, it's interesting, you mentioned you're from Chattanooga, so I'm in Michigan, and by by law, we all have to go to Florida, so we have to drive down there or fly down there. I've done both. It's, it's a nasty drive, but you drive, you always drive by Chattanooga, and it's one of those places that I used to always stop. Now, I have not been there driving probably 10 years, but I remember Chattanooga was like this little town. You go, go, what's going on here? And so you must have grown up seeing this as a, a small town growing into what is no longer just a small town.
0: Well, you know, back in the 70s, Walter Cronkite's really famous. If you Google it or YouTube it, you'll see that this was listed as one of the dirtiest cities in the country. You know, back in the mid-70s.
1: Why was that? What was there going
0: on there? Manufacturing with absolutely no no acknowledgement of pollution, (laughs) you know, and this was before global warming and climate change. This was just air quality. I mean, we had the worst air quality in the nation.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't think that. But yeah, it's interesting as uh, the North North became regulated, they moved stuff down South, which was less regulated at the time. And what's interesting is, my dad used to say, my dad was born in the 30s, so he, he had different perspectives. There was always a sense that when you saw those smoke stats, pumping out smoke in your michigan you're like hallelujah everybody's working right the plants are plants are booming we're, we're melting steel and building cars right that was a fantastic thing and it was only probably in the 70s and 80s where you started going what are they pumping out and i always used to think that smoke that just goes to space no big deal <laughs> the space doesn't care if we put pollution
0: there oh yeah now yeah. we know better now right
1: <laughs> right so you grew up there and you went to school what did you say
0: University of Georgia. Excellent. But I'm not this go dogs, you know, everybody gets into school stuff, you know. It's a great school. You know what the irony is, Joe? I couldn't get into Georgia now. I think most oh, yeah. of us could yeah. not get into the schools that we graduated right. from because they've become so competitive. But yeah, the big joke is I did really well when I was there. They wouldn't let me go to the arches today.
1: That's the same. I'm, I'm in Michigan, and a lot of my friends who went to Michigan State go, "Oh my God, I had a hard enough time getting in in the '80s. I don't know what it would be like now." And same with University of Michigan. <laughs> you go, yeah, a friend of mine's kid, like, oh, I had a 4.0, but I guess that's not enough. <laughs> I also needed to write a novel and <laughs> and and climb Mount Everest, right? So, so let's get into the topic today. So. Today's topic. Well, one of the things I think is while we we're prepping, I kind of mentioned this. Your title again is VP of sustainability, sustainability and innovation, and you're at Covenant, which is a, a trucking company. And what's interesting is your VP of. So obviously, they said this is an important topic. This is something that's important to the company. You're not the lowest level. You're not like a clerk that there. They said let's elevate this to a position of importance, and. You're not, uh, Covenant isn't a, a recently formed San Francisco company that's all woke and said, Hey, let's create some title for sustainability. This is a trucking company, kind of conservative business, kind of conservative state. And this is what kind of
0: conservative industry,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. So this, this is no joke. And so, you know, I think the, you guys, if you didn't already know, is sustainability really a problem with Matt McClellan? It is. It is really a problem that serious people on it's not a left thing. It's not a right thing. This is a business thing. (laughs) I really don't care. You know, and it's funny, we we were talking prepping for this. You and I came to an agreement. It doesn't really matter if you personally believe in global warming or climate change. This is something that customers are now requiring. (laughs) So speak to that a little bit,
0: man. Yeah. So let me let me unpack that just a little bit and I'm gonna like dip my toes in a little bit of some delicate waters here, you know, because you talked about left and right. And there is a little bit of left and right when you think about sustainability. But because, you know, you could be on one side of the argument and say the earth is warming up and climate change and, you know, the day, you know, the science speaks for itself. And then you could be on the complete opposite. It's all, you know, it's, it's misinformation But what's funny about sustainability, Joe, and really when you think about trucking in particular, is that, you know, for me, you know, I'm a big outdoors guy, air quality, water quality, energy independence. You know, I went to this phase a couple of years ago. I really started researching fracking and that kind of scared the living daylights out of me when you sort of it doesn't really matter where you are politically when you look at how we extract oil from deep underground by shoving water and all this stuff in these geologically sort of unstable areas. I don't have to be a scientist to know that that just doesn't feel right. There's just something not Right. right there. And so, you know, my motivation and the reason I'm so excited about this role, Joe, is because, you know, I'm a big outdoors guy. I travel a lot with my wife and my son. Being able to sort of have a positive impact on our environment huge for me and it's it's not about global warming even though i'm sure maybe there's something to that i'm not saying there's not but to me it's about keeping the city that i live in which is we already talked about was the dirtiest city in the country we've made a lot of progress now we're an incredibly desirable place to live and air quality is not an issue if we could just start to have some of that momentum across our industry across the united states that gets me really excited so again the definition of sustainability being able to meet the needs today, our needs today as a company, without infringing on the ability for future generation to meet theirs. And so that's just at its core Webster's basic definition of it. And so, you know, we can get into, you know, climate change and greenhouse gas emissions and, you know, all of these types of things that typically people think about when they hear the word sustainability. But um, clean water, clean air, man that's that's one of the things that gets me most excited about
1: it so my youngest daughter kelly went to school at a little college called aquinas college and she got a degree in sustainable business okay and i was very excited when she went to the program and what they taught her is what a sustainable business is, is, you know, you measure the triple bottom line or triple top line. How are you? So we've always measured profits. You don't have to, have to tell business you measure profits or you go to business. This is profit and loss matters. But they said when start measuring impact on people and that's not just your people, it's people in your community. If you can, first and foremost, you got to take care of your own people, you got to take care of your customers. But if you can do something, a little outreach certainly doesn't hurt. Secondly, you want to have less impact on the planet than traditional. So you want to be your best in class for your industry. So long term, if you're, you know, one of those industries that really impacts the environment negatively, you can't be a sustainable business. Conversely, you can't be a sustainable business if you don't make profits. So you have to do all three because one of the things, kind of the tenets of that was, if you don't make money and you say, yeah, but we're doing really well with people and really good with the planet. Yeah, but you're going to go out of business at some point. So, you, so and then the person who replaces you might not do well for the planet or for
0: people. Oh, yeah. So, well, let, let me jump in there just for a second, because, you know, Joe, what's interesting is if you look out across all of the largest companies in the United States, the ones that have the, the biggest profit margins, people like Google and Apple and Microsoft and Facebook these are some of the loudest companies when it comes to uh, carbon neutrality and the amount of investment they're putting into making data centers greener. They all have, if there was such thing as triple-digit profits, they've got them. Right, and that's so right. they can afford to do these things. And when you're a truckle, trucking company like us or a logistics company, you've got single different prof- profits, barely double-digit profits. If you're doing really, really well, then that's a lot harder. Right, do. right. you don't have money laying around to put into this and you know we can unpack this a little bit more later joe but you know if you put a a diesel quote and a green quote in front of a customer they're going to pick the diesel quote every time at least traditionally that's been true it's becoming not so much the norm but because you know sustainability is not free and so if we start really putting our money with our mouth is you know money where our mouth is you know, we're going to have to start thinking about this a little bit differently. And that's kind of where government and regulation all kind of comes into play. Because once they start requiring us to do certain things, we're going to be forced to pass that cost along. So instead of being proactive, we'll be reactive. And then, you know, those costs will just be passed down right. along the supply chain, ultimately to people like you and me as in consumers.
1: Yep. And I think the things that we we can focus on easily is yep. there's certain things that, Save us money and make us more money, but also better for the planet. So empty miles is a perfect example. So when we can when we, when we can reduce empty miles, those we didn't want empty miles to begin with, but moving air around is not exactly an environmental <laughs> value, right? Yeah. So and I'll throw something else out there. You mentioned the biggest companies, the Facebooks, the Googles, one of the things. This is where In terms kinda, of profit. In terms yeah, of like right, profit and, margin, yeah. Right. And what's interesting is I think you know and again I'm playing devil's advocate here I'm all for what we're talking about here but a lot of people would say yeah I'm tired of Facebook and Google telling me how to think I don't need them to tell me how to think so I'm less impressed with what they say and more impressed when I see the largest CPGs the ones that we move freight for say I care about it Facebook I don't care what they think Google I don't care what they think I care when Anheuser-Busch or Walmart says, I want sustainability. And by the way, they want it now.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, you know, I'll give you an example, Joe. I went through, I'm giving a big presentation to our board of directors in a few weeks. And I went to our CFO and I said, hey, give me a list of our top 10 customers. So he gave me the list. I looked them all up. Nine out of 10 of those had very aggressive ESG, which is environmental social governance initiatives. These are, most of them were publicly traded. And these are very well-documented, measured, qualitative and quantitative positions that each company has about what their position is going to be with the environment, diversity, equity, inclusion, the communities where they live, commitments to their people. And in this document, when you look at the emissions improvements that they want to achieve over the next several years, at least two-thirds of those come from something called scope three, and we can unpack what that means in a second what that means is that scope 3 is like where we are that customer scope 3 us as carriers doing business on their behalf delivering their goods and services they absorb part of that greenhouse gas sort of the sins that are committed you know when when we pollute doing work for them they own that measurement and so it's important to them because they got to lean on us to help get their numbers better and so you know, that's where it becomes important to us. And really anybody that's in the business that we're in is that if it's important to your customers, it better be important to you and those top ten customers. Guess what? They also have Joe. Each one of them has a named sustainability person or an entire department all associated with tracking, measurement, communication, optics, you know, all these different roles that that sustainability people play. So it's very important to our top ten.
1: Right, and you know it's interesting. I think it was Boston Consulting Group. I know it was Boston Consulting Group just put out a report. I think it was from April. And you know, again, a serious consulting company. This isn't, you know, again, this isn't a whole bunch of woke college students. This is this is business people, and they said, hey, this is a problem. And I think they pointed out that it will take a hundred trillion dollars investment, probably over the next, I think it was thirty years,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to get to the right numbers on greenhouse gases. And a lot of the things we're already doing. So we're moving in that direction. And so some of those things, like can we reduce empty miles? We're already doing that. And some other things, we'll end up with electric vehicles doing the final mile. That's simple enough. We we know how to do that. Other stuff is going to require that innovation. That's the other part of your job. But what I thought was interesting is when they talked about greenhouse gases, 80% of it is the supply chain. So, so when the world says we need to improve greenhouse gas emissions, reduce them. They are going to look at the supply chain. So the supply chain, we're part of that, fellas. <laughs> so if you're, a, if you're, if you make something, clearly, you know, you're part of the supply chain. We're, you know, if you're a logistics guy, warehousing, trucking, transportation, logistics, you know, that means you, they're going to be looking at you.
0: Let me add one more thing to that and i know we're doing this remotely obviously we're in my home office you're in your home office so if i could look right into the camera yours is cooler every... than
1: mine by the way
0: <laughs> oh well, well, i've got legos my kid and i built together if i could look into the eyes of every person watching this podcast i would point at you you and you and you and say Every one of you are part of the supply chain too. Because if you weren't buying stuff, if you weren't buying this Rubik's Cube or this stapler or this coffee cup, which says, by the way, without data, you're just another person with an (laughs) opinion. If you weren't buying stuff, these companies would not be making it, would not be shipping it, would not be delivering it, would not be. Doing all these things that ultimately have this impact on our planet. And so one of the things that would be interesting to sort of talk about just a little bit, Joe, is when we just have these massive consumer spending patterns, we are what's driving all of this. You know, we're what's driving all of these, you know, this massive sort of increase in the supply chain. And so I just feel like people need to acknowledge that because when they start getting mad at these sort of evil energy companies and, you know, Shell and Chevron and Exxon and they're bad. Like, well, you have a car, don't you? Well,
1: you buy gas,
0: then, you know, you're, you need to sort of take some sort of ownership in this. And so I like to think that while these companies definitely need to make changes, we also, you and I grew up in an age where our parents said, Hey, turn off the lights. Like we don't say that anymore. You know, I mean, there was an energy crisis in the 70s, you know, and we had long gas lines and electricity problems. And our parents said, hey, don't forget to turn off the lights. And so, you know, these are all things that we need to also take some ownership of as as consumers.
1: Right. And I will throw this out there. I think that this this idea of consumerism is gone down a little bit i would say there's at least a recognition none of us like to receive stuff from amazon where it has a huge box and then you know a whole bunch of packing you've noticed over the last few years that's gotten uh, much much better i think there's a recognition that we all have this carbon footprint and i do believe before too long when you get a package, it's going to say, here is the price that you paid for all this. And I think there'll be some sort of what was the number, you know, a measurement of carbon impact. Just, and I think that's partly because those brands are going to say, I don't want a whole bunch of returns and I don't want a whole bunch of uh, back and forth with packaging because it's expensive for us. But I, I think there's just a general recognition that we need to do something. So
0: well, well, hold on. Let, me, let me add one more thing to mm-hmm. that because what's interesting is, unfortunately, one of the only things that people understand is when prices increase and and behavior doesn't change. Like a friend of mine owns a lot of car dealerships in this region. And when gas is cheap, he sells these big, massive SUVs. And when gas is expensive, people start buying smaller cars. And I wish it wasn't like that because I remember I was standing in line at, a, again, a burrito, at my favorite little burrito shack down the road. And I was talking, you know, we had high gas prices at this time. I was talking to this friend of mine that was behind me in line. And we, he was sort of lamenting at how high it is. It's like, you know... It takes high prices for people to really change their behaviors. You know, sometimes one of the best things that could ever happen is high gasoline prices. And this girl in front of me got upset. She didn't know me. She was just listening to the conversation and she said, must be nice to have as much money as you do. And, you know, I didn't really want to engage her in a thoughtful conversation about conservation. But at the end of the day, as consumers, we typically don't pay attention. So when Zappos and Amazon offers free returns, we don't think twice about buying 10 different bathing suits so that we can try on all 10. Well, I'm not talking about me, but my wife did this the other day. So I'm kind of making fun of her a little bit so that we can return nine of them and buy one. Right. You know, it's like, couldn't you buy three and return two? She's like, no, I just wanted to get, you know, and maybe it was six and she returned five. But you get the point.
1: We should do a better job on the sizing because those returns cause. I mean, when I say that is help me pick the right shoes so I don't have to, so I don't have to return them all the time. So the first thing we were talking about here was, you know, is sustainability really a problem? And, and from your perspective, customers are requiring. So I don't really even have a choice. And so the second, so, so it's like I've said this before in my podcast if your customer says you know i want better customer service i want better data from you i want this report from you you never say no <laughs> you say yes i will i'm 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 going to address those problems we're going to have somebody dedicated to your account you're going to get that report every monday no discussion but when when customers say i want sustainability and again i don't think that's that that message is as loud as it's going to be soon you're going to have to have something to tell them and it's going to be too late when they say hey tell us tell us a little bit about what your transportation or your logistics or your trucking company does on sustainability and you go well we're we're just getting into it <laughs> you know we're we're yeah. very we're very concerned they're going to say i want to see something and so my feeling is always the same start measuring something today one yeah. KPI and it could be we're measuring empty miles percentage of empty miles compared to full and we're going to increase that or how many, how many smart way carriers I work with easy, easy things just start.
0: <laughs> well, let me, let me give you an example, of, you know, back to your point about, you know, these things don't happen overnight. Some things can, your customer can demand something and it's easy right. for you to, to make some changes. But I just returned from a Portland, Oregon at um, Daimler, which is the parent company for Freightliner. That's where we buy a lot of our trucks from. And we were looking at battery electric technology, the latest and greatest battery electric technology for long-haul fleets. Now, that in itself is an entire other podcast, right? We're right. talking about the pros and cons. But these trucks right now, fully loaded, can only go about 150 miles. So we had a customer recently ask us about battery electric into the duty cycle. So they had a run that we did for them that was under 100 miles. So it kind of fit within the, the limitations of right. electric Class 8 trucks today. Well, if it was as simple as going out and buying a truck, right? But... First of all, these Class 8 trucks, they're all allocated for already for 2022. So now you're taking orders for things that are going to be delivered in late 2022 and 2023. More importantly, the charging infrastructure that has to be put into place at the location where the truck is going to be used. Some of that stuff takes 18 months. You've got to get permits. There might not be enough power available in your area. We've actually run into that before. We've talked to a customer in the middle of nowhere that wants to put in sort of charging stations for three or four trucks you find out that the utility infrastructure just can't deliver a megawatt of power to ultimately they're willing to put a charging station then there's permits you've got to dig up concrete you've got to put in all this infrastructure that hopefully is big enough for you to maybe do more in the future which is you know, because it has to be underground so it could take, you know, 18 months from the right. minute that you decide to go electric with, with some of your work. And so, you know, these things take a long time to kind of play out. You know, you and I have talked offline about low hanging fruit. There's some things that customers are asking us to do that we could do today. But these bigger decisions, these things that are going to have a bigger impact. Those don't happen overnight. Those right. take a while. And
1: And by the way, when we were talking offline, you talked about that meeting you had in Portland with Daimler. And you said you you weren't the only trucking guy there. There was a whole bunch of big boys there looking at buying these either electric, these are electric Class A trucks, which I, by the way, I just said on another podcast, I didn't think we'd see electric Class A trucks have a significant impact for a long time. But but apparently they're starting to build them.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, some of the biggest, so where, where electric trucks are starting to be used most frequently right now is out in California, specifically in the ports, because what's drayage, which is the movement of freight from a port to a location. Typically, I don't know. There's no definitional number, but usually people think about it within a hundred miles or yeah. so where it comes in, because you pull it off the container ship, put it on a truck, truck then takes it to a distribution center and it kind of gets processed from there. Right. But those short runs, Joe, that are less than a hundred miles. That is where you're seeing most of the battery electric and, and hydrogen technology being implemented.
1: So just to level set for people, what is Rage?
0: So movement of goods, of containers, you know, for the most part, from port cities like, um, you know, Savannah on the East Coast and Charleston and then um you know, the port of LA, Port of Long Beach, you know, um, the movement from those locations to, to a warehouse.
1: So they take a crane and they take that container, put it on the on the back of what a, either a flatbed or just a chassis. So it's just like a regular truck. I know and the reason I mentioned dredge because every once in a while I get messages, what the hell is Drink if <laughs> Somebody doesn't deal with
0: it. <laughs> well well, you know what's interesting is that some people refer to drayage. I you know, historically, to me there was a there was a port component to it, but a lot of people use drayage you know, short runs between locations. So like a hundred mile run from one location, like from a, from a DC distribution center, uh, like, like for example, here in Chattanooga, Volkswagen has a big manufacturer, North American manufacturing plant. So uh, a run from a warehouse to their manufacturing plant for this just in time type of delivery. Some people I've heard, they call that drayage, you know, I don't really call it drag. I think it's
1: that's more of a port function in my mind, but usually yeah. it's the containers going onto either a flatbed or, or a chassis. And it, usually it's just going. So I remember somebody draining something from Chicago, Port of Chicago to Detroit. That's 270 miles. That's a little longer than you would normally see. But normally, to your point, it's 100 miles or less. And so electric vehicles can start to be used there. And I think we'll see electric vehicles being used for that final mile because that that infrastructure can work you're usually doing it in population centers at some point that electric the, the grid is there
0: so let me give you a little a couple of interesting pieces of minutiae that about since we're talking about ports number one after 2023 the EPA in the state of California is good you know well every every truck that comes into a port has to be registered after 2023 trucks are going to have to be zero emission you know to some degree right now, Trucks older than 2011 are starting to drop off the registry because they've reached what they did to determine is their end of useful life. And so those trucks can no longer come in. Ironically, they can drive up and down the road in California, but they just can't come into right. the port. And so we're going to start seeing more electrification requirements at the ports. In another window here, I've got a, a paper that the California Air Resources Board CARB. It's called Advanced Clean Fleet Regulation. It's their draft language for dredge truck requirements. And in it, there's a lot of detail about basically getting rid of all diesel technology over a certain time frame.
1: Right. So it's interesting, maybe people don't realize this, but as every year we get cleaner and cleaner on the trucks and the cars that we build. So as we get newer, newer fleets, we naturally, even if we did nothing else, we get more, we get better at emissions, but that's not fast enough. So we got to do some other things. So, so you mentioned that you, 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 were, you went to visit and your feeling was they had, they had, a, they talked to you about hydrogen and they talked to you about electric. Where do you see that? Where do you see that going?
0: So while wow, there, wow, there's a lot there, so let me think of the high level way to say right. it. So <laughs> like everything in life, there's pros and cons. Right, and and it's not like you have to choose. Like you don't have to pick hydrogen or electric. You can use a mix of both in your fleet today. Um, electric is attractive, and again, I'm talking about it from the perspective of a long haul trucker. So, I mean, people doing local deliveries and things like right. that that would be different. But you can send electricity wherever you want to on this thing that exists today. It's called a power grid.
1: Yeah, we already and have so a-
0: if you, if <laughs> I want to buy a truck and I, I could put a charging station into my location, I can charge it up right away. Now it takes three hours or four hours, you know, depending on how big the battery is, but juxtapose that with a hydrogen truck. Well, a hydrogen truck, you got to deliver the fuel to wherever it's going to be used, right? A big storage tank somewhere. Then you have to make it, right? You have to make the hydrogen in the first place. And then once you make it, it only takes 15 minutes or so to refuel the truck. An electric truck can only go 150 miles. A full tank of hydrogen can take you up to five and six, 700 miles. So, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons to each. It's expensive. Hydrogen is expensive. You know, let's say that right now we're in California. Hydrogen is roughly $13, $14 a kilo. If you're a 4 hire fleet, nobody's going to hire me with a hydrogen truck because my costs for delivery is going to be way too high compared to a diesel truck. If I'm a private fleet like PepsiCo, and um, I've got a massive decarbonization initiative to electrify or decarbonize up to 75% of my fleet by 2025, then if I can absorb to pay those costs, I'm probably going to have a lot of electric trucks and a lot of hydrogen trucks in my fleet. So. Again, I will show you, um, if any of your readers read the Wall Street Journal, there's a big piece in yesterday's Wall Street Journal, which would be Wednesday, November 10th.
1: Yeah, I'll put a link to that. Yeah,
0: it's, it's called The Coming Battle Over Electric Trucks. And I'll say one last thing, because I could go on forever about this, is uh, people forget that a ele- hydrogen truck is an electric truck. You know, electricity, you know, it's the same motor. It's even got a battery on it. But you generate electricity on demand. And that's what drives the electric motors in the truck, which are the same electric motors that are in a battery electric truck. Something else that's kind of interesting that people forget about is a locomotive, a train, is actually, you know, runs on diesel, but it's actually an electric vehicle.
1: So let me summarize some of this for us. So, again, today's topic, is sustainability really a problem with my friend Matt McClellan? And this is really a problem, fellas. It's, Matt already said it. First off, our customers are requiring it. Not small companies, big, big companies are asking for it. This is where the greenhouse gases come from, the supply chain, 80%. And so we should all expect, if they haven't already asked, your customers are going to start asking. And secondary, the Fed regs are coming. There are regulatory pressures there. This is no longer a a left or a right. So we talked about some of the, the stuff that's a few years out, which is, let,
0: let, let me, before you go too far, let me jump back on something with there yep. for just a second. So if your listeners are interested in a little bit of proof on that, Walmart has a project called, it's called Project Gigaton. It's very public. They made a big announcement about it this summer. Their goal is by 2030, no, 2025 to save 1 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. And so the way they're going to do that is what's called, scope three savings. And so what they're going to do is lean on their suppliers, suppliers like Covenant, J.B. Hunt, and basically every carrier carries goods for Walmart because they're so big. They're going to lean on us to improve our output numbers because when we improve our numbers, they start to meet their goals. So that's just one of many examples of big companies that are going to start you know, requiring right. us to change, um, to make right. investments in the fleet. Yep, so it's coming. There's no doubt about that. And I think there's the,
1: I'll call five years out, three years out, whatever it is, is this hydrogen, which you talked a little bit about, electric, which you talked a little bit about. We didn't talk about compressed natural gas. That's another option out there. So talk a bit, a little bit about uh, compressed natural gas how that works. So,
0: you know, compressed natural gas is interesting because a lot of fleets tried this, you know, six, seven, eight years ago and had mixed results with it, mostly not good results. And it was largely because the engines were just underpowered and they weren't, I mean, they weren't great on a long straightaway in the middle of Omaha, but they didn't do well going over the Rockies and, A lot of the companies that tried them ended up, you know, mothballing them. Well, like a lot of different technologies that people test, it's gotten better over time. So if you were to look at private fleets like UPS uses a ton of compressed natural gas, and it's a great alternative for people committed to decarbonization. A lot of carriers just haven't given it a second chance. So I personally don't know of a a, a 4 hire long-haul carrier, Joe, that has very any significant component of compressed natural gas in their fleet. I could be wrong. I don't obviously know everybody. But I know that the, my counterparts at some of the larger companies, we don't use it. But I do know that the technology is there. It's getting better. I think Cummings is about to come out with a fifteen liter or 15-liter uh, CNG engine that's going to be a game-changer for a lot of people. So that is a viable technology for people to consider.
1: Right. And so just in general, when we talk about CNG – Um, By the way, I I worked with a trucking company here in Michigan that was doing CNG and they were, it was great for going from Michigan or Chicago down to Mexico and back. And you just have to have a tank. And I think those were dual fuel vehicles where they could use either, you know, switch over to diesel or, so they, they were retrofitting existing vehicles either. So most of it, most of the time they were using CNG because one of the things you would not want to happen to your truck is, oh, we ran out of We ran out of gas in the next CNG (laughs) places a hundred miles away.
0: It's kind of like that with battery electric right now, you know, with um, people in cars. You know, one of the reasons I I, I want a Tesla, I've got one pre-ordered for uh, a Cybertruck. But one of the functions of the software is to plan where your next charging station is if you're on a trip. (laughs) So it tells you, like, literally, the navigation says if you want to go to Atlanta, unless you're going to somebody's house, there is not a charging station in between. So you either got to turn around. Or figure out a plan B. So
1: right, yeah. I've I've a friend who they're here in Michigan, but they have a, a business in California too, and so they would drive over there. And they have a regular car, gas engine, and a Tesla. And I said, "Do you drive the Tesla?" They're like, oh, no way. It goes too hard. I, I think that's getting better, but not quite there yet. So this stuff is uh, is coming, no doubt about it. Now, generally speaking, are this is when we talk about CNG or hydrogen or electric. Is this more expensive to run these vehicles?
0: So you know, it's funny. I feel bad, Joe, you're asking me these questions that have, they're not- I know, there's huge, that's
1: a whole podcast, I understand Yeah,
0: so one of the value propositions behind these electric vehicles is that they got fewer moving parts. When they have fewer moving parts, the idea is that there's fewer things to break, there's less things to maintain. (laughs) I remember sitting at a hydrogen release for a company called Nikola. They were um, unveiling kind of their new product. I'm sitting next to this guy- who is one of the owners, he's, he owned a billion dollar 3PL. And he's a really interesting guy. And he looked at, watched the presentation, and it was about a hydrogen and electric release. And she showed us the presentation and said, what do you all think? And this is a bunch of CEOs. And for some reason, I was in the room too. This guy <laughs> raised his hand. He said, he says, I've got a Tesla, a P100, which was an older model of a Tesla. And he said, I bought that car four years ago. The only thing I've ever done is put tires on it. I've got almost 95,000 miles. I have only put tires. I haven't put, he hadn't even put brakes on it. He said, if you can give me a truck that will do that, I'll buy every one of these things that you can make. And everybody sort of chuckled because it was a little bit of a joke and probably a whole lot of truth as well. The idea, Joe, to answer your question is, is the maintenance is supposed to be less, but we also won't know until we actually get in there and, and, and test it.
1: Right. We also don't know what the government is going to do with this because you know all of these. It's real easy right now to say, "Guys, go after empty miles" because it's good for the environment. It's good. It's, a, it's one metric that we can all use right now. We are already using it. It was already good for us to have fewer empty miles. I wouldn't be surprised to see the government get behind some of these. And and I, when I say the government, I think that's regardless of whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, because I had Dan Burroughs on here not too long ago. He's from Truck Labs, who makes those truck wings.
0: Oh, he's a great guy. I met him a few weeks ago. Yeah, And he was
1: talking about one of the larger groups in, uh, I think, the Congress, maybe, was the conservative conservative Republicans who were f- very much in this conservation mode, and they were in, wanted to get behind these environmental. So this this isn't a simple left right thing like oh Republicans are all smoking cigars and saying let's pollute the planet. That's yeah. not where we're at anymore. So I think there's we're a gonna,
0: massive piece of legislation right now called the Steer Act. It's bipartisan, yep. very very right down wait, the middle. Wait bipartisan. wait say that say that word again. The Steer Act. Bi- S-T- bi- Partis- I, I know, bipartisan. <laughs> I know, I know. I know, it's Customers crazy, but it I want our elected idiots to work together. More and, more. and again, <laughs> no, we're doing a lot no, of these this things. This is one of these great, anyway. you know, you know it's funny not to get on well. a sidebar, but when you go back and you look at Supreme Court decisions that were like, like nine to zero or eight to one, you know, where most of the people, there's actually a lot of decisions like that that take place. So it's not always five to four or, you know, you, you know, on along party lines. But anyway. What's great about this piece of legislation, it's going to provide $300 million for long-haul truckers like us. It still hasn't finished yet, so it hasn't gone to the House to get sort of voted on. But if the idea is that it goes to the Senate and goes to the president, there will be a tremendous amount of money for carriers like us on a first-come, first-served basis to offset some of the investment it's going to take for us to – Start getting into electric trucks or some of the low-hanging fruit. Maybe this is a good time to yeah, yeah. Talk let's talk about, about the
1: low-hanging fruit.
0: <laughs> but but to invest in technology that's going to help us with their our current assets to get better fuel economy to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. You know, it's interesting right now. One of the things that we're looking at, Joe, is electric APUs because if anybody, if any of your listeners have ever been to a truck stop or been to a rest area, there's trucks everywhere because these these um, drivers have to spend the night somewhere. They're idling their trucks. They're running their air conditioners, running right. their heaters. Right, right.
1: When you say a- APU, that's auxiliary power units. So describe what yes.
0: that is. Thank you for, I get a little weedy and in industry <laughs> terms, auxiliary, electric auxiliary power units, because there actually are also diesel auxiliary power units. But right now, without a, one of these units, which I'll explain what it is in a second, you have to sit at a truck stop or sit at a rest stop, and your engine's idling. You're burning about a gallon an hour, and you're just constantly releasing exhaust. Right. Into the air. Exhaust, which is dirty, and also filled with carbon. So if you could cut your engine off and still have a nice evening, right, in an air-conditioned environment, that's what an auxiliary power unit is. It runs your air conditioner, it runs your inverter, your microwave, your television, if you've been in some of the trucks, your gaming systems, your CPAC machines. So if you can run these machines without running your engine, yeah, that is a lot of money. A, yeah, well, what so less environmental impact. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily save a lot of money. Even if these things save are cost neutral, if you've got to buy one for five grand and over the course of a year, you save five grand in fuel. Even if you just get into it to eliminate your emissions, that is worth it to a lot of people. And so, One of the things that you mentioned earlier on the show, Joe, which I thought was very wise, is start with something, measure something. So if you can start with measuring how much output do I have at a truck stop and how can I get better? You invest in one of these devices. You look at where you started at. Look at where you were once you bought one of these devices. Compare the two. You're going to start seeing substantial reduction in... GHG output, GHG being greenhouse gas output.
1: Yep. So let's talk a little bit about low-hanging fruit. So we talked about the things that might be investments. And again, we believe that the government's probably going to come and have some money available from the STEER Act. And t- let's talk about some of those low-hanging fruits. So what what are some of the things that trucking companies and transportation logistics people should be looking for right now?
0: Okay. So you brought up Dan Burroughs. Great guy. met him recently. Him and Steve Smith uh, at Truck Labs. They make a product called Truck Wings, which is a device that connects the cab and the trailer, reduces that empty space or covers that empty space. Their estimates are that you can get 3 to 4% increase in fuel efficiency. I was talking to somebody, one of the major carriers, that has claimed up to 7% fuel efficiency. And so what you have to do is decide whether or not the fuel savings that you get from the installation, operation, and procurement of this device is worth you know, making your truck more efficient. Wheel covers, trailer skirts, you know, there are Bridgestone, Michelin, the tire companies are constantly tweaking the formula of the rubber for low friction, low rolling resistance tires. We, last year, we purchased half of our tires in retreads. Which are as good as new tires, less price, and obviously a lot more friendly to the environment because we use an existing tire instead of buying a new tire. So,
1: so there's an existing tire, and what do you mean they retread it?
0: Yeah, they take the cap off once it's already you know reached its its maximum life, and they retread it. So you still got the same sidewalls; you just have a different tread. So if you download our CSR report, and we can provide a link to that, it shows we have a page in it dedicated to Bridgestone where they worked with us to keep. 15,000 tires out of a landfill last year. 15,000 tires out of the landfill. We reused those things.
1: I bet those truck tires will survive till the end of time. I mean, if you throw them in a the junkyard. So it's a good thing that you're redoing them, recycle retreading them. So you mentioned this Dan Burrows. So he's his company's truck labs. I'll put a link to, I interviewed uh, Dan not too long ago. And I said, your truck should have wings. And again, you put those, those wings on those, it's called truck wings. Truck labs makes other things that are help trucking companies. But yeah,
0: let, let me tell you about one other thing they're doing too. This is really interesting. Right. They're, they're not, this isn't available yet and it's on their website. So I don't think Dan would mind me talking about it, but it's called trip dynamics. So the idea is that Gamification is an idea where if you can turn a job into a competitive type thing, for lack of a better word, where you're competing against your coworkers to do better than they are and you kind of make it fun and you have incentives like, you know, everything from time off to financial or gift cards or whatever, or even just bragging rights. If you can do better than somebody else and make it fun, it sort of takes the monotony and, and it makes you better. So. The idea is they've come up with a platform that will allow you take a little while to unpack. But the shortened version of it is it allows drivers to compete against each other in these small 30 to 60 mile segments to see who can have the lowest idle time, the best fuel economy, the fewer number of hard <laughs> brakes. And basically, it's encouraging this behavior without investing any money in the fleet to drive better. There's this one driver that I read about. I follow him on LinkedIn. And he wakes up every day and every movement that that guy makes in the truck is about trying to make it more efficient. He nerds out on fuel economy, on idle percentage, and it's so encouraging to watch drivers get engaged at that level. And I think what Dan and Truck Labs is hoping is that this product will help fleets really drive better driver behavior.
1: He needs to get with like one of the gaming, uh, the gambling apps or Vegas. And so we can gamble on those drivers <laughs> Then we'll really get oh, yeah. to yeah, you know, also- I would do that.
0: I would, I would have a lot of fun and maybe, maybe the, maybe the leadership of the company would give us all kind of some virtual cash to like bet. Dude, and and, and that way cash. the employees of the companies could bet <laughs> on the drivers and create this whole fun kind of atmosphere.
1: I want real cash. I want so if we we got it to the place where you say, yeah, those guys are the best drivers. At getting is making a, a million bucks a year because he's so good at the fuel economy. <laughs> anyway, one of the low hanging fruits is truck truck labs. They have these truck wings. Cool thing. Another people I had on the podcast was uh, the people from Remora. and Ramora they have
0: carbon capture this right? Carbon
1: capture, and you mentioned that was something in the Wall Street Journal. I think it was from Aramco
0: mobile carbon capture this is in yesterday's wall street journal i know that your listeners can't see this
1: what is the company
0: it's a ramco so i think it's a big um, Saudi arabian um, oil and gas company but they basically have come up
1: it's the biggest company on earth yeah <laughs> <By far>. exactly <laughs> and
0: yeah.
1: it's interesting that they're doing that because again you see a lot of you know where somebody i think if you look in kind of the uh, stereotypes people go oh yeah they just they want to pollute these guys don't want to lose their business, so they want to they want to do things that help them compete in this era. So we're going to have competitive responses from the oil companies. Which good luck to them. <laughs> uh, what what we all want is we want better we want better solutions.
0: <laughs> yeah, one thing people forget, you know, Joe, is you know we we tend to demonize oil and gas companies, and you know I'm not going to I don't own oil and gas stock. I don't have friends that work there, so if it sounds like I'm being defensive. What I'm about to say is being defensive of them. Don't think I have an ulterior motive, but. Some of these companies, these oil and gas companies are, are leading the charge for coming up with renewable, basically ways to put themselves right. out of business. Um, Shell is doing great work. I got to know a guy named Patrick Carey. He's a VP of something that Shell recently, we had a 30 minute meeting. It ended up being two hours and we were just talking, he was telling me about all these different things that they're doing to invest in electrification across the world. They're building these charging stations and strategic places where traditionally people have consumed large amounts of um, petroleum products. And so before people start hating oil and gas companies, you need to realize that while you may not want to give them a Nobel Prize for you know being the best citizens on the earth, they are, number one, we are all, you and me, we're buying their product. We're keeping them business for starters. But second of all, they're doing a lot of the leading edge work in this area. And I think we just don't hear enough about that.
1: Right. And by the way, almost... Almost across the board, they don't call themselves oil and gas anymore. They'll call themselves energy companies Energy companies because of where their investments are. And you look at compressed natural gas, if you're familiar with the trucking company, and they one day showed me, say, T. T- Boone Pickens made his money in oil and gas. And I think he lived to like 92, 93 years old, but he made his second fortune in compressed natural gas.
0: And at the end of his life, I think he was investing huge in um, wind farms in right. Texas. Yeah. yeah. So.
1: so these there is, you know, I always say you can't blame the people who brought us to the party, right? Capitalism brought us to the party. Oil and gas brought us to the party. We've done these things a certain way. This is the this is the way. Now we just want to improve it. We're tweaking it. Yep. So I don't think this has to be any condemnation of the past. It just needs to be recognition that we want something different for the future, yeah, and that's what we do as humans.
0: <laughs> so, you know, there's, like I said, to your point, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that we can all still take advantage of. And, you know, Joe, the low-hanging fruit, some of it's expensive, some of it's not. You know, some of it is behavior-based. I think we've already kind of demonstrated a little bit about what that is. But at the end of the day, there's only so much we can do. Bill Gates wrote a book. In fact, you know, it's... In fact, I, I have... Oh, I have
1: good, not read that one yet.
0: <laughs> uh, how to Avoid a Climate Disaster. And I don't always deal with agree with Bill Gates, but this is a great book, and, I've, and I would recommend anybody listening to your show that is interested in, in the climate read this book because what he describes is – well, he talks about a lot of things, but one of them is true sustainability is largely dependent on technology that hasn't been invented yet. And so whenever you see a company that has a 2050 initiative over the United States, which has signed up for a 2050 net carbon initiative – that's largely based on things that haven't been invented yet. So, when you have entrepreneurs on your show, like the Ramora people, I, I, I would like for you to introduce me to them because I'd like I to hear more about will. what they're doing. But carbon capture, these types of things at scale is what it's going to take for all of us to kind of get to a better place. And again, to kind of wrap this up, how we originally started the conversation, it doesn't matter if you you know, are left or right or what your motivation is for being concerned about the environment. I think we can all agree we need to be in a better place than we are now. And there's a lot of investment, a lot of behavioral changes, both personally and, you know, professionally that we're all going to have to make in order to get there. And so I'm excited. I like that Bill's using a lot of his wealth to invest in some crazy ideas. And he'll admit, he says nine out of 10 things he invests in, he doesn't expect there to be any kind of return. Right. But these 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 founders are getting better every time they're learning from their mistakes and their failures are being sort of cataloged and made available to people so that you know some people don't make the same mistake twice.
1: Right. And, you know, one of the things uh, I, I always mention uh, when we talk about sustainability is your grandparents, my grandparents did not care one little bit about the environment because it wasn't a problem at all. They knew that smoke just well, the smokestacks just goes to space, not a problem, right?
0: They would throw their trash out the window, driving down the interstate.
1: <laughs> when I was a kid, my we'd go to McDonald's and I'd say, "What do I do with this garbage?" You go throw it outside. And I tell my kids this; they laugh and laugh at that. I said, "The world was so big, and there were so few people relative to today that it really just seemed like it would just blow away, right? Just like it just it went to the hinterlands and it'll never be seen again." Well, now we know it's roadside garbage. Right. And and when you see it now, you go, who the hell is throwing stuff out the window? But <laughs> we got to a certain place wealth wise where we start saying, hey, let's worry about this. Poor people don't worry about the environment. It's not that not, not their biggest concern. They want to live indoors and eat every day. But once we've gotten to this certain level of wealth that we've all for the most part attained, in at least in the Western world. We start saying, hey, this environment that we have is pretty nice. Let's keep it. So,
0: Yeah, let me throw a little plug in for somebody local. Yep. So there's – you mentioned Greta. I can't even pronounce her last name. She's the Thun, – Thunberg. Yeah, she's the the girl that does all the crazy stuff and calls us all bad people. And we're all horrible. Yeah. And we're all See, she hurts. Time. She so, hurts
1: this movement she, to she, some she extent. She
0: does hurt it. Juxtapose that. To this little kid here in Chattanooga named Cash, what is his last name? His first name is, anyway, he's the Conservation Kid. You can find him on Instagram. It's Conservation Kid. And the Conservation Kid. This kid, when he was like nine years old, goes to the beach, sees trash on the beach, asks his mom, like, why is that here? She said, well, somebody threw it in a stream, ended up in the ocean. Thankfully, a dolphin didn't eat it, and it washed up on shore. And so that kid spent the rest of his vacation picking trash off the beach, came back to Chattanooga, where we have the Tennessee Aquarium, and just became this this tiny, when I say tiny, because he was nine years old at the time, now he's 12, activist about about not climate change, like what Greta's doing, but just about plastic and trash in the ocean. Right. And so he wrote this book, Cash Daniels, this is his name, it's called One Small Piece. I would recommend all of your people go on Amazon, buy this little tiny book that he self-illustrated for nine ninety nine dollars 99 about what one person can do. To help clean up the earth. And the reason why this makes me excited is because all of us can make a difference collectively. Now, if you're like me, and you get to work on behalf of a corporation that burned 42 million gallons of diesel last year, and you can help make an impact on how to make that more efficient then that makes me happy and excited to wake up and get out of bed every morning but this kid is excited to get out and pick up straws off the beach and he actually makes these little gifts and arts and crafts with some of the things that um that he that he does but i just i love the enthusiasm of some of these younger kids not so much greta but you know i'm sure she's doing some positive things as well
1: her heart's in the right place i just think her heart's in the right place yeah I feel like some of that again. It it, it feels like it gets politicized and thrown in your face, and you're like, "I I, I like well reasoned stuff. I don't want to (laughs) be told uh, because I'm old and I'm a white male that I'm somehow done something wrong in my life." So, anyway, let's uh, let's wrap. Oh, one other thing before I finish here. So, one thing I will say is, no matter what, if you're a little three PL and you maybe say, "I don't even have trucks, we don't have warehouses," what we can, can we do? I always say, start measuring something, empty miles we're all concerned about empty miles. If you could say to a prospective customer, we've reduced empty miles by 20% over year over year. It's good for the bottom line. It's good for you that you don't even have to sell that, but start recognizing some of the things we do. Like I, I make sure every truck that we have is full, you know, driving half empty trucks is bad for the environment. So if I said, Hey, I had a whole bunch of half empties and I made it full. There's a lot of things that transportation logistics has traditionally done that is good for the bottom line and also good for the environment. Start measuring there because I think one of the things, not everything we're talking about has to cost money. And if you can point out, we saved this much money with our Empty Miles initiative and then we've got some of our carriers to use SmartWay or become SmartWay members. These are little things, but they can add up. And if somebody says, you know, I'm going to start listening to that sustainability guy because he saved us that much on Empty Miles and we use less fuel, whatever it might be. All of a sudden, the next initiative, even if it's cost neutral or costs a little, it starts making a little more sense. Like I, this isn't complete out of left field yeah. wacko stuff.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Start measuring. We, yeah, we can do that. I, I just thought of this while we were talking. But, you know, I, one of the things, and if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, I, I tend to post a lot of different articles about interesting things that I find from a sustainability perspective that people are doing. Like, you know, Denmark, they built this. You know they're they're burning um, construction waste and using it to yeah, generate electricity. Yeah, that's how I you. There's all these interesting things going on, but one of the things I talk a lot about, um, Joe, is the future of work. And one thing that really was a unintentional consequence of COVID and all of this remote work that we've been doing is we kept a lot of people off the road. Traffic in places like Atlanta didn't exist for about a year and a half. It's still not back to what it was before. And so one thing that we did in some of the departments at our company is we encouraged people. Hey, if you had like a 40 minute commute each way, some of our people for some reason live a long ways away, like all of a sudden you've reclaimed two hours of your life. Well, go exercise, you know, don't just work more or waste that time or, you know, look at social media or whatever, use that time and go exercise. So a couple of people use that time to start training for a race and to kind of did something productive. And when you think about the impact of not driving in, of, you know, not Printing and consuming the types of things that you consume when you go to a corporate office. It would be interesting if you could measure the savings that a lot of these companies are having, not just financially, but environmentally. What sorts of things that you're reducing by eating in instead of eating at lunch or the reduction? One, one thing would be great to measure is how much money did you save on business travel? You know, right. and you could come up with a monetary number and then maybe a greenhouse gas number oh, associated yeah. with yeah. that too. I mean, you could you could go crazy with
1: that idea. I'm an automotive guy originally, and I used to get dressed in a suit and tie, and drive twenty minutes, half an hour, hour depending on the day, and I had I the two hour commute, one hour there, one hour back, and it takes time out of family time. It takes time out of uh, out of it, what you miss is family and working out, and and, uh, and I also say this. I look at my environmental impact is so much less. My car doesn't move some days. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I get out, from, go to the walk, should get to the gym now that it's getting cold here in the north. <laughs> so anyway, let's wrap this bad boy up. So give us some final thoughts on this, Matt.
0: So what is interesting about sustainability, I think, is um, I got a, um, I got asked to ironically do some consulting work. There's a company that called and asked me if I would talk to their leadership about sustainability and and whether or not companies need full-time sustainability people about whether they need to have a published ESG plan, environmental social governance. You know, there's this whole idea of ESG investing where certain types of investors only want to invest in publicly traded companies that are very committed to not only do what they do, but to do it in a responsible way. So, you know, my answer to them was, you know, really depends on two things. Number one is, is it part of your DNA? Is it part of who you want to be? I think we find, um, Joe, I don't know, it'd be interesting to talk about this another time, but a lot of the younger workforce, the millennials um, are asking in the job interview process, what sort of things are you doing to give back in the community? What sort of volunteer opportunities are you going to enable for me? At our company, we have something called volunteer time off where, you know, uh, we get, we pay for you like PTO, paid time off to spend a day or two volunteering and you get paid for that day. So, you know, cus- these, in- these younger kids are asking about what our company is doing for the environment, what we're doing in the communities. And so ESG and CSR initiatives in your company, I think, are great things. I'll give you a link that you can put in this to our corporate CSR report. That is kind of a description of kind of what or how we are thinking about the environment and what sort of investments that we're making. Once we step that up into an ESG report, we actually start calculating measurements and making commitments to carbon neutrality and reductions that we're going to make in our normal course of operations. You know, We're going to do that probably next year or so. But I think if you're a publicly traded company, you definitely need to have people kind of dedicated and doing this full time. If you're a smaller company, You definitely need to have somebody who's got sustainability responsibilities in your organization. I think that, you know, for me, I report directly to the president of our company. I'm the only person in our company that doesn't belong to a department. And that's by design. It's confusing from an accounting perspective, which is a whole nother discussion because people never know to charge my expenses to. But I belong, I report directly to the president of our company and I, I communicate directly with leadership about things that I'm learning, I'm reading about conversations I'm having with employees, I'm a conduit directly to them about how we can kind of do business good and do business well. Doing business good, meaning being good at being a logistics provider and doing it well, meaning we're doing it in a thoughtful responsible manner. So that's kind of how I would sort of sum all that up.
1: Right. No, that's great. And, And you mentioned ESG again is environmental, social, and governance, right? So a lot of, you'll hear a lot of Wall Street guys throw that out there. And then you mentioned CSR, which is corporate
0: social responsibility,
1: social responsibility. So yeah. there's more and more companies. And again, you, you mentioned something very interesting. Look at your customers. If your customers have that stuff and they've seemed to make a big commitment on their website, look out because they're coming <laughs> and it's time for you to, to say, I need to align to my customers' uh, wants and needs, values. Anyway, before you go, Matt, tell us a little bit what's going on over at Covenant, not just not just uh, ESG, CSR. I know you guys are moving some freight. What's your sweet spot over there?
0: Oh, man, you know, this is, you know, it's seasonal work that's about to come up due to the Christmas season. I think one of the questions we're asking ourselves is uh, with the supply chain issues that are going on, you know, typically around Christmas time, right about now, in the beginning of November, you know, the entire supply chain starts to really catch on fire because people are ordering for Christmas and getting ready for vacation, and, you know, you would think that that has slowed down because of the port crisis and all the container ships. There's still a lot of freight to be moved.
1: I think if you look at the numbers, the freight, even pre-COVID, we're, we're like 5% more than that. So we're we're oh, yeah. still moving a ton of stuff. It's not yeah. as if everything got stuck on the water. Most of it's made it to shore.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, some of the things that we're really thinking about right now that we talk about, you know, recruiting for drivers, that's... I don't want to say that's a tired thing Because we know <laughs> it's not new, but it's getting bigger. You know, we're looking a lot in automation and autonomous vehicles, not and I'm certainly don't mistake anybody listening out there that we are, we've pulled the trigger and done something, no. but we would be foolish to not look at this as a, the idea of autonomous driving as part of the future. And what role do we play in that? And so we're Exploring what that looks like, as is every other carrier out there. Our drivers tend to get worried that if that's a direction we take, they're not going to have a job. But I can guarantee you, no driver in this country, whether it's a Covenant driver or a J.B. Hunt driver or a US Express driver, nobody is going to lose their job if. One percent, two percent, even five percent of the freight is moved in an autonomous manner. Maybe you can cue this up for maybe a future podcast where we talk about this, but it is something that's on the radar. It's something that is going to happen. It's something that has a lot of hurdles to to be overcome. But it's definitely something that's really interesting. We shall keep our eyes on.
1: Yep. Well, what I'll do, Matt, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. You guys really should follow Matt. He does post some very interesting things. That's how I. Fo- We're always connected, but then he's posts some things that about different things with sustainability. And again, there don't all have to be moonshots. Some of them are just we can do this right now. I'll also put a link to Covenant on the website and any of the things you referenced. I'll put if you give me the link, I'll put it in there. And I'm also going to put in Dan Burrow's podcast, which was. Your truck needs why your truck needs wings and also paul gross's podcast i think it was the carbon capture for semi-trucks
0: and put a link to my uh, so i have a personal instagram page that is called chad the van where you can track my outdoor <laughs> adventure travels in my large very diesel inefficient sprinter van that is, which I'll be spending the night in tonight, by the way, at the end of a trailhead, getting ready for a big camping weekend. But yeah, Chad the van is what really gets me passionate about some of the sustainability stuff because it takes me to some really beautiful places. A lot of the pictures are, are are highlighted there on the Instagram page, but um, it, it gets me really enthusiastic and thinking about the environment. Mm-hmm. Clean air and clean water, and it all kind of goes in it.
1: We all want that. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time, Matt. Great.
0: Thanks, Joe. Hey,
1: and thank all of you for listening. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.
0: You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.